Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's burrowcom slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. This is the Toffee Web Podcast. Hello again, Blues, and welcome back to the Toffee Web Podcast, coming to you amid an air of continuing apprehension, it's fair to say, tinged perhaps with a growing sense of defiance, as momentum gathers on social media to create another bear pit atmosphere at Goodison Park on Thursday, when Newcastle come to town. Everton's run of what is now five games without a win, coupled with results elsewhere, most notably Leicester beating Wolves on Saturday, means that the Blues find themselves where they were at this stage last season, in the bottom of three, albeit this time only on goal difference, with six games left to save themselves. Paul Trail is here with me, and we're delighted to be joined by late substitute Rob Sawyer to look ahead to what will be the last game under the lights at the Old Lady this season. And we'll also touch on the latest off-the-field controversy as Bill Kenwright and the Altogether Now movement trade spiky open letters over the internet. Uh, but we'll start with that rather lackluster game at Palace, uh, which, Paul, you travelled down for. Uh, how did you see the game in the context uh, of our recent performances, the players available, and our broader need to start winning games if we're going to stay up? Not a bad point on the on the, on the the face of it. I think ordinarily we'd probably... <laughs> We probably kind of take a point anywhere on the road, really, don't we? The way uh, the way we perform away from home, but obviously there's a growing need for for three points. Uh, would you take it before the game? I suppose you probably would have done, I guess. Um, even though it's put, put puts us into the bottom three, I thought the um, I thought they did okay. I think I think keeping the clean sheet was important. That's probably the biggest positive from it. Is uh, after a couple of couple of games in a row when we've 
conceded pretty soft goals, haven't we, in the main at Old Trafford and then um, at home to Fulham. So it's nice to be a bit more a bit more resilient, positives. Obviously, Dominic Carver-Lewin being back. Um, so, yeah, I guess, obviously, um, you've seen Everton capitulate from there when they've been down to 10 men, say, with 10 to go. It kind of felt a little bit inevitable they would and good to see that they didn't. So, um Yes, it's a good point as long as we back it up, isn't it? I think it's really, really important now to, to you know, to, to be winning the next game or at least certainly getting four points in the next two games, say, or something like that, you know? So, um, yeah, pretty good effort, I guess. The, the commitment was there. Um, They've got to keep up that discipline now. I think that was that was the, the kind of almost the certainty I thought with most of the, you know, most of the games when Sean Dyche arrived was the, you know, was, was that sort of resilience, that, you know, organisation that, you know, ruggedness that you know, um, making it difficult to beat, and that that kind of went went away the last couple of games. So good to have that back. And if we're going to stay up, that's going to be mighty important that we are like that. I think because we're not going to go and blow teams away, are we? The go the games are going to be, you know, if, if we win any more games, hopefully we do. They're going to be by the odd goal. It's going to be kind of how it's been. I imagine you can't see, you know, going and scoring three or four. So. um going to have to defend well and be resilient so and at least we were that so um that's the main positive for me and yeah it's uh hope we're resilient again on um on thursday night yeah i think you have to take a point in the context of that that sending off um i'm not sure that we would have had quite enough to win the game um had colgate stayed on the field but yeah i think the fact that you're away from home um against a team that have won three on the bounce you know i think ordinarily you take a point I just the concern is obviously that we're running out of matches, and at some point we're really going really to have to um, to ratchet things up and try and get a bit more um, a bit more purposeful and a bit more urgent. And hopefully, again, yeah, as you say, that starts on Thursday. Uh, Rob, as a long-suffering Goodison uh, Park season ticket holder, you didn't get to the game, but what are your general thoughts on the team in general, based on what you've seen, particularly um, since the, the last win over Brentford? So these last few matches. Yeah, I just think we struggled to cope with the loss of Decore. Um, I think it's we've almost overcomplicated it, perhaps, with the, the sort of various changes in in selections and, and formations. Um, I think we went back to something a little bit more pragmatic for the match at Sellers Park, uh, probably a bit more solidity uh, in midfield, and that got us that sort of what could be a priceless point and a, and a clean sheet. So certainly a step forward. It, it's hard to believe that we're talking like that about uh, Abdullah Dekori when, if we just go back a couple of months, he was you know, probably on the verge of leaving the club, and now he's sort of integral to uh, Sean Dyche's plans. Um, so it's great news that we, we'll have him back. Uh, shortly, and obviously Ramadan was finished, so hopefully he'll be sort of, you know, in and rested after a couple of weeks. So hopefully he'll come back, you know, at full tilt and uh, just give us that physicality that we've been uh, lacking. Uh, so I think without him, we we did well at Sellers Park to get a nil nil. I'd have taken that all day long. I think to your point, London, it's the fact that we've not picked up points in other matches where it's hurting us. I think a nil nil against a good attacking uh, Palace was actually a decent result. It's just the context of other results that's uh, put us in trouble. Yeah, it is quite amazing how key Ducouré has been, particularly when you think that Lampard had more or less eliminated him as, as an option. But, you know, when, when we first signed him, he was a very important player to us. And there were times when he got injured where we thought, well, where are we going to go from here? So it's, it's nice to see him back and nice to see him contributing to the team and being important. And as you say... 
um, hopefully nice and, and rested <laughs> for Thursday, where I think we really are going to have to see some market improvement. Um, just returning, obviously, back to the to Palace and, and Mason Holgate in general is obviously taking a lot of flack for his role in the game and the fact that he picked up those two yellow cards. Uh, likewise, Sean Deitch is um, perhaps being criticised for leaving him on. Uh, Paul, w- what did you think? I mean, the, the general feeling was that he was almost a disaster waiting to happen once he had the first yellow card. So do you think he, that Deitch was right to, to keep him on? I remember saying on the way home on the train to um, to a couple of the other fellas, I remember thinking not so much, I suppose, to protect them from a, from a, a second yellow. He, to me, didn't look at in the second half and that much, that much risk of getting a second yellow to me. At least I thought he seemed to sort himself out a bit in the second half. It was all the first half he was all at sea and all over the place. And I would say that the first yellow is a little bit harsh, but when you, regardless, when you're on a yellow, you can't go diving in like that. You know you're asking for trouble, so no real complaints there. Um, but I was thinking before that it's nil nil, twenty to go, something like that. I remember thinking this at the time, thinking, yeah, we're, yeah, we, we still we, we want to win this game, right? So why not? Let's yeah, we've got to throw caution to the wind a little bit, don't we? And why, why not stick Patterson on and give him a little run at the fullback and give him a little, you know try and take the game to them a little bit more. You know what I mean? I know, all right, I'm not begrudging the point. I understand the sort of importance of keeping that clean. She has, I may even contradict myself a little bit, but you got to be, you got to, I don't know, you got to dare to lose to win sometimes, haven't you, I think, you know? Mm-hmm. And I just, that, was, that was my thinking at the time. Not so much, all right, you need to be protecting. So I didn't really think he looked in a lot of trouble there, to be honest, Hoggett, in the second half, really. Um, it was just more, I thought, could be doing an attacking change here to try and win the game. That was more. That was more my thinking. But um, he was put. He was put into trouble, wasn't he? Really, with Pickford, I thought with the, it was. It was it wasn't a good ball to him. But I can understand why he thought he had to dive, and he probably didn't. But when you're on a yellow card, you can't really do that. So hard to complain. I have felt sorry, a little bit sorry for Mason Holgate, though. I mean, he's got. He's had a lot of flack from it, and okay, fair enough. It was a. It was a poor decision to to go with that, but. Look at the other side. He's been thrown into that position. He's not a natural right back. He's been thrown into that after months of not playing. You know, I mean, he's played he played forty five minutes in about four months or something like that, hasn't he? Um, no real match sharpness. And of all the players that we've sort of had over the years, and there's been a lot of them at Tongueland. You could say Mason's one, which is yeah, he's he's been there longer than he should, he's been here longer than he should have been. That's probably fair enough, but. At least he's one I feel he's always given his all and does care about the club. You know what I mean? So stuff like that. I don't, you know, feel too comfortable people having a dig at him. There's been plenty of other players who've shown a lot less and given a lot less than Mason. You know what I mean? So, mate, is he is he good enough? Maybe not, but I do think he tries. So you know, um, he's doing he's doing his best. He just had a tough game against a tough opponent that day. Um, a bit unlucky to be sent off, maybe, but. Yeah, Sean, I thought could have taken them off to be more attacking, not so much to protect them. That was the way I looked at it. Yeah, I mean, the, the tweet that I put out was probably overly harsh at the time and it was born of a lot of frustration. <laughs> um, you know, obviously because, you know, he's <laughs> he's kind of prone to to rash things like that and it just, it was just such an important game. But, you know, on further reflection, I think both yellow cards were pretty harsh. Um, I think he was unfortunate to pick up two yellow cards, particularly the first one. And as you say, he is he he is ring rusty in the same way that Nathan Patterson is. And so, mm. really, it could have been a toss up between either of those players because neither one of them has played much football recently. But you know, as I'd put, as I said on the last podcast, that I would have Holgate in at right back over Ben Godfrey. 
Um, now, I'm not saying that either one of them is the answer because yeah, I, I'm, you know, the, the more time goes on, the less comfortable I am putting center halves at right back. But um, you know, he, he's Holgate's played a, a pretty well as a right wing back and a right fullback under Ancelotti. My mind goes back to the Anfield derby where we won two 0 He was an integral part in that performance, so he has performed well in that role. Um, I just think that he was caught out badly by um, by Jordan Ayew, which um, I mean, that's a <laughs> the fact that we made made him look <laughs> like hmm. I think some someone tweeted they made him look like Ryan Giggs. I mean, <laughs> it was quite something to see uh, <laughs> us being ripped apart by Jordan Ayew. But I think that's a uh, a reflection of, of kind of how far we've fallen. Uh, Rob, in terms of the Holgate-Patterson decision, wh- where do you come down on that? I think when you listen to Sean Dyche's press conference uh, before the match and even the previous week, he's clearly got some reservations about Patterson, at least in the short term, just as I think mm-hmm. Lampard did at times. Um, when Patterson came on a sub, when uh, Godfrey went off in the, uh, the recent home match, he did look very rusty, quite shaky whether he's lost some of his confidence as well as his match sharpness and fitness. So I think that's why Daesh kind of went to a, another player. I think the surprise was maybe that it was Holgate because he's had so little time on the pitch uh, this whole season, whether it's through injury or just being out of favour. So I think, I think as Paul's alluded to, I think it's a big ask for Holgate to come in and just find his feet. You know, th- these guys, they don't even play reserve team football anymore. So presumably he trains four or five days a week, sits on the bench on a Saturday for 90 minutes and might get the odd minute. So to to come in in not your best position, and I take your point that he has played in a sort of right-sided uh, defensive position under Ancelotti quite well, but it's a big ask to come in and sort of be up against a, a winger. Ayu might not be the best, but he's, he's, a, you know, he's a decent Premier League player and he will... Um, and he will tempt you. And unfortunately, Mason, as you say, does have a habit of putting his foot in. He does tend to lunge, and that, and that is always a risk. So, uh, But I guess with the car, you know, Daesh had three choices, wasn't it? It was Ben Godfrey again, which after the past couple of games, I, I couldn't see that happening. Clearly, he doesn't either believe Patterson is ready yet, whether fitness-wise or just at the level required for his style of play. So, so that really left Holgate. The other only other option would have been to go with a defensive three, which is actually, I think, Holgate's best position as a right-sided uh, player in a, in a back three. But uh, I'm not a big fan of uh, sort of three at the back. And uh, we've seen, you know, we've seen it earlier this season at the Lampard. It's, uh, I think it just makes our play even stodgier than it is most of the time. So um, I get it. I think the options are limited. I, I'd like to think Patson will get the nod on Thursday, unless Seamus... Uh, you know, it's deemed fit, in which case I'm sure he'll be the uh, the first pick. Yeah, Deitch hasn't even hasn't even shown uh, the barest inkling of trying through at the back yet, has he? It just doesn't seem to be in his uh, in his thinking. No. Um, I, it, perhaps um, you know, I'm, I'm sure when he came into the job, Deitch was looking at tapes of recent games and and that game against Brighton when Patterson obviously made a, a glaring error for one of the goals and that might have been in his thinking. And the other thing is it's, he just seems to have this preference to, to only play p- players that are completely match fit. So hopefully he's working Patterson up um, to, uh, to, to, to fitness. But um, I, I feel like you know when you go back to the beginning of the season when Nathan Patterson was regarded, I think, by many of us as one of our best players before he got injured, it seems that he needs, um, he needs a run of games to kind of get back into his stride 
um, get some of his confidence back because on a couple of his cameos, he's, he's given the ball away, you know, quite cheaply at times. And I'm sure that, you know, when it, it, given the, the stakes at the moment, I'm sure Deitch is, you know, looking at that and, and not wanting to risk it. But obviously, if you've got Godfrey and Holgate making errors as well, then he really does have, uh, it complicates his thinking further. Um, it, it seems as though um, Seamus is in with a chance of playing. Sounds like Amadou Anana has um, more of a chance of playing on Thursday. What do we, um, what do you think? If, if Seamus Coleman's not available, what, what will he do? Um, will Ben Godfrey by default? I mean, it, it seems. I don't know. I, don't, I just don't get the sense he wants to play Nathan Patterson even at home. Really, I mean, um, could be wrong, but this you know, I've said before is the option of a Wobie. He's done quite well there, but I think we need him further up the field, really, don't we? You know, so um, okay. might have to be Ben Godfrey if uh, if Coleman's not available. I, I, I would I would own on that's no disrespect to Ben Godfrey, but he's he's not a right back. He um yeah. he's not a full back. You know, he's a centre half. He's he's had a his issue with trouble with injuries. Probably his confidence, his form, he's, he's playing in a poor team. And then to put him out of position, you know, I, I saw it in that game against Fulham before he did get injured. You know, he's just he's just not suited. Confidence is low. He hasn't got the ability to get forward and ping a crossover. Um, I think it would be unfair on him. I, I think it has to be Patterson unless unless Dash throws a complete curveball and, you know, puts in something like Stanley Mills, just, you know, complete rubbers out of the hat. Uh, but I, I suspect if I was a betting man, I think uh, they've got, Seamus in cotton wool and have probably had them for the past week and uh, with, with Thursday in mind. Uh, if he's not, I think it has to be Patterson. I just don't see, you know, if you don't play him, what does it say about Patterson, frankly? Yeah, no, I agree. I think the fact that the likes of Stanley Mills weren't on the bench at Palace kind of spoke quite loudly to me. The fact that we had Andy Lonergan as a third goalkeeper <laughs> rather than... Yes. You know, a a younger kid who could who could potentially come on and you know provide a bit of energy and something that, that he didn't even you know didn't even have them travel was 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 quite eye opening to me. Um, I think you've got to give Deitch credit in that he he's not been afraid to experiment. I mean, he's tried lots of things. He's tried Holgate in in, in the defensive midfield. He's tried Godfrey on both sides. You know, and I think I mean Patterson starting is the one thing that he hasn't tried yet. So I think it's probably the you know the opportunity to the opportunity to, to do that. But obviously Dominic, Dominic Calvert Lewin is back, um came through ninety minutes and looked pretty sharp, um Paul, for the for, for the for the time that he was on the pitch. Um I've always said that he's he's not a silver bullet. He's not going to come back in and start, you know, hammering in three goals a game, but he does give us something completely different. Um and I'm hoping we didn't get to see much of it at Palace, but I'm hoping that the wingers were going to start sort of you know, getting crosses, getting crosses in, and and giving him something to to feed off now that he's there. Yeah, we did quite well, but uh, Dominic, um, it's great to have him back, isn't it? And you've just got to hope he can stay back for the next six games. And that, you know, if he does, I'd fancy us to win at least one of them games, and maybe draw another one or two, which might be enough. You never know, do you? You know, but um, fancy us to get more points with Dominic on the on the pitch. I think that's obvious. Um, Bit unlucky, wasn't he, with the chance? Maybe, maybe, could, maybe should have scored it. It snatched it a little bit, but that's understandable. It's a wonderful Create, turn there. Created it himself, didn't he? Nice ball by yeah. Alex as well. Um, but that's that's the thing with Dominic. There is that um, uh, that came from a big hoof, didn't it, from Jordan, which which Dominic was able to. I'm not sure if he won the header or not, but he was able to certainly cause enough nuisance to get you know to get to get around that, and the ball came to it. And again, nice, nice. Yeah, and that's what he can do, and that's what 
Neil Mopey can't, nor Ellis. You know what I mean? So it's um, uh, it's it, it's something what we something we haven't got and something we've desperately missed. I think even if he'd been available for another half dozen games, he probably yeah you know, we we probably be okay. I imagine. You know, it really is that significant. Um, yeah, he did well. It's good to to get. 80, 90, 11 minutes under his belt. Um, and yeah, it's just got to hope that he can stay fit and uh, for the next sort of six games. And then and then beyond that, obviously, um, if you know, if, if we're still in the Premier League, because he's a real asset to us if he's fit. Um, just, I think it's just like, that, like I just described, though, it's just that it can kind of give you something out of nothing. It's, it's an out ball for the, you know, you can go long and, and you got a, a decent chance of a stick. And it doesn't mean you have to go long all the time, but it's, a, it's an option for you, you know? So, um, and yeah, at home, you'd like to think of a, with a raucous crowd on Thursday. Um, yeah. You, you, you Dwight McNeil's and Damari Gray's and, or if it's a Roby playing there, can get down and get that ball in and, you know, and, uh, just cause a bit of havoc in there. And yeah, it's, uh, makes a big difference for sure. Yeah, it's unfortunate in a way that we're playing so soon, you know, on a Thursday. If, um, you know, in terms of Dominic's uh, recovery, you'd think ideally he'd have sort of seven days to recuperate and then they can make a decision whether he starts again. Um, five days is a big ask. I suspect we will start him unless he, you know, unless he reports anything, you know, back at Finch Farm. Uh, but it's it's a big ask and I suspect somebody will have to play at least 10, 15, maybe 20 minutes of the match in his place on uh, Thursday, so uh, opportunity calls maybe for Sims or or Mope. Paul, I'd be interested what your thoughts were on Garner. I saw him play obviously at, uh, against Fulham the other day, and uh, I like the look of him. I think he's a player, you know, technically good. I think he can spot a pass which not many of our current squad can, and uh, maybe that's something Dominic Calvert-Lewin can benefit from. Um, I've heard mixed reports. I, I like him. I think probably he's still rusty and. Again, like Patterson hasn't had much match time, but what what were your impressions of him on the at, down at Sellers Park? I actually gave him man of the match in my uh, in my report. So yeah, so yeah, uh, obviously I, I I thought he did quite well. Um, uh, what what impressed me the most? He has he has got that touch of class, which which we've seen over the years, haven't we? From from players we've we've got gotten from Manchester United, they just got a certain a certain style about them. Sometimes he does some very nice things. Uh, James Garner, it's got good awareness. But what impressed me the most, actually, which I didn't see against Fulham, uh, was his ability to scrap and get stuck in, actually, and, uh, you know, put himself about and, you know, shows a lot of nous. You know, I think he's, um, yeah, I think we've got a good player there. It'd be interesting to see how he fits in, actually, if, if everybody's fit on on, uh, on Thursday. Will he go back to address a guy and... Um, uh, the core because the, you'd say the core is an absolute dead cert to play, wouldn't you? He's, he, he'll certainly yeah. play. Yeah. I can't see Adrissa Gay being removed either. He's, he, I think he's playing okay, Adrissa. So that kind of leaves uh, it really, if you could presume he's going for that midfield three, which I'd assume he would, it's between Onana and uh, and Garner. Um, tough one, really. Onana's got that physical presence, but I think Garner has shown that he can scrap and he's, he'll give you more in an attacking sense. I'd like to see Garner get the nod. Um, yeah, so it'll be interesting to see. And I think, was it just me? I mean, I, I had such a terrible angle from, from from where I was sat. <laughs> right, right, bang in the corner. I couldn't, I don't know, it could have been much worse than what I could see. But it took me, was, was quite central most of the yeah. time, right, wasn't he? And it's just good to see that. That's where the goal came, sorry, the goal, the, the opportunity <laughs> came from, from Dominic and Calvert-Lewin. So, um, yeah, it's a tough one as well. I like Iwobi's creativity in there as well. I mean, you don't want to go too gunko, but we need to win, you know, and find, we've got to find ways to sort of get these players on the ball in central areas, I think. And 
while I will be giving you that industry on the wing, you're losing that creativity in the middle, if you know what I mean. So I don't know. I'm, strange to actually feel like we've actually got options for once and it's good it's, uh, it's a chance for Sean to make the right call there and it'd be interesting to see uh, see what the midfield is but I'd like to see Garner stay in the team for sure yeah we shall see my gut feeling is if Fernandez fit he'll play at Garner's expense but uh, yeah, I, I agree right. I just think he brings something that we've been lacking and also dead ball delivery you know he can take a free kick he can take a corner if necessary and again something that we lack it's uh crazy to say but you know we don't have many players who can strike a ball that effectively and he's one yeah I think that Dutch is, made, is, is sort of slowly making that that trade-off now between Owobi's industry on the right and the importance of having him centrally because I think in the last sort of game and a half he's moved Iwobi into that into that middle role um, that's put um, Damari Gray, Gray right, wide on the right and I think he's actually struggled um, which I, f- I find he often does when he's out on the wing. Is there any scope that Gray is the one that makes way and Garner does stay in the team, do you think? Yeah, I think Damari Gray might be the uh, the one to fall out of that. Um, I, I suspect it will be we'll end up on the right-hand side rather than the centre. So it's 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 uh, an interesting quandary, isn't it, for, for Sean Dyche? But the, um, yeah, I think the Corre, Onana and Gay will end up being the three somehow. And it'd be a shame to see see James go on the face out of that but um, we'll see we'll see what happens but I think I think the likelihood is that of all them players the Marvy Gray is the most likely to be out of the team I would say yeah I agree I think he'll go back to the sort of preferred almost how he started off Dash when he came in that sort of lineup pretty much but with DCL um, just as well it's an easy game though I mean Newcastle didn't do much did they at the weekend <laughs> did they <laughs> blimey <laughs> Well, they beat Newcastle, didn't they? Five-one away the other a few weeks ago, and followed up with a three-nil defeat at uh, Villa. And then obviously they won this one. So you know, it doesn't really, you know, like the point I'm trying to make. It doesn't necessarily mean they're going to come and, and come and wallop us. We all know, you know, how funny football can be. In my, didn't Liverpool batter Man U seven-nil? Then lost to Bournemouth two-nil. You know, I mean, it's um, it's, it's it's funny, isn't it? You know, so um, it's a great thing about football. One thing doesn't necessarily lead on to the next. So. Uh, Blimey, better, better be the case on Thursday that, <laughs> that that football remains a funny old game. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the atmosphere at Goodison, that'll be something, and hopefully that will, hopefully we'll, we'll play it solid, you know, not give them the space, you know. I mean, it was just crazy, that game at St. James's Park the other day, uh, the way Spurs imploded and were just getting caught out of the back. So I'm sure we'll sort of play quite a deep line, at least initially, try not to get caught and just, um, well, I mean, a bit harking back to the game last season, you know, the... The match where everything happened, uh, people changed the posts. Last, you know, last minute winners. You know, it's uh, we need a bit of that, don't we? We do. Shows what the, the benefit of scoring a scoring an earlier um, a couple of early goals, though, doesn't it? I mean, that that just kind of sometimes that can just open the floodgates. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, two 0 being the uh, the most dangerous scoreline in football, things can go the other way. But uh, yeah, I think they just overwhelm Spurs. I mean. I, we don't have that kind of fire, firepower, but I think a strong start from us you know, can, can go a long way to um, to sort of putting Newcastle on their heels. Um, but I, as we've discussed, we've got DeCorey back. <clears throat> we've got Onana and Coleman potentially as well, assuming all three play, you know, with the caveat that Onana, Coleman and Calvert-Lewin might not be at their sharpest. I mean, we're, we're pretty much at, at full strength for this one. And that potential starting 11, you know, I think we would have said all along is, is too good to go down. Obviously, find ourselves in, um, you know, in, in the mire. But the talent is there. 
and uh, when they're all fit and they have the ability. But it's, for me now, it's uh, it's as much in the mind as anything else. Um, it's a confidence thing now. Do they believe they can do it? Can they produce a performance to overcome what what is a formidable looking Newcastle side based on that result uh, yesterday? But I suppose we'll find out. Um, and again, as we've said, no, I, no, um, no doubt the crowd that goes on Thursday is going to give it um, all the backing they need. My concern from the last couple of games is just the lack of intensity in the play and a, and a lack of fluidity and chance creation. And that, I think, is hopefully where the crowd can play its part in geeing them up and, and, and getting producing the kind of performance that we, we really need out of them now. I think bringing um, Abdullah Decorey back into the team to, you know, brings that intensity. I think that's one thing which uh, the crowd can then draw off, especially with Jessica in there. So, and it's, and just Dominic, uh, and just uh, a full Goodison Park being able to, you know, being able to see Dominic Carvalhoon play will be a big, big boost for the supporters. So I think that you, you can already sense that sometimes, I don't know, it's weird, isn't it, being an Evertonian? Sometimes it's weird Goodison Park. So, sometimes you kind of, you kind of know it's not going to be that atmospheric somehow. I don't, I don't quite know why, but. You kind of know this one really, really is. So just it's just got that sense to it in a perverse way. We'll come to Bill Kenwright later. I feel all that kind of helps in a weird way in terms of atmosphere on the day. I think this is going to be a real sort of like raucous, um, really raucous, really hostile atmosphere at Goodison Park. And that's potentially when we're at our best. So um, the players keep their heads, get into them early. Yeah, if you can get an early goal. A good example is the Brentford game. If you, uh, and that was our last win, which feel, it, feels, it feels a while ago now. But that we were able to score within a minute and then not, you know, hold them out for the whole 90 plus, you know, was um was fantastic. And I think that's what when Sean Dice is kind of at his best when he's got to sort of, you know, when he's got someone to protect. And it's been pretty rare these last few well, he hasn't really had anything to protect these last few games, really. You know what I mean? So um because we haven't been ahead. So um so yeah, I think if we can get that early goal or just get ahead in the game, whether that's early or not, I think that's the key thing, I think, is getting the first goal in the game and then we know what Sean can do when, 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 when with that challenge in front of him. We know what the Goodison crowd can do for helping the players along there. So, um, huge night at Goodison. I can see a massive, massive. It could be a special night at Goodison Park, let's hope. Um, it was last season. That was a mad <laughs> one, wasn't it, with um, Awobi's, um, Awobi's <laughs> late, late, late goal. And uh, that was incredible, um, that game. So, yeah, I get the sense it's going to be something something crazy at Goodison this um this uh, this Thursday, uh, maybe one one of the last big hostile nights at Goodison Park. Is regardless of uh, whatever happens this season, there's not going to be many next seasons. Just not that many evening games full stop, are there? So I don't know how many more important games there are going to be than this one in the evening at Goodison Park. So if you get to go, enjoy it. I think it's going and roll the team on because I think it's going to be a real special atmosphere. And uh, yeah, let's hope we come come away on top. Yeah, well said, Paul. I can't, can't really. Uh, I'm good that I can't make it myself. Uh, but hopefully, the person in my seat will be um, doing his or her bits. Um, uh, you're right. You know, and it's the it's a it's a cliche, isn't it? But Goodison at night, Goodison under the lights, it is that extra, extra element, the extra ingredient that can just uh, make a match that little bit more special and uh, the atmosphere. Turn it up to eleven instead of ten. It's uh, yeah, we've got everything crossed. That uh, that gets us over the line because uh, win that game, I think you know we're we're not on a roll, but it's uh, you know we, we can see where we're moving. Lose and uh, well, it would give me the feeling. I, I was thinking back to I think it's uh, Howard Kendall's last season, ninety seven, ninety eight, and uh, I think we lost at home to Sheffield Wednesday um, badly. 
and uh, I think it was two or three games to go. Yeah, 4-1, was it? Uh, well, it was, um, I, I think, think Carboni was, was playing for them, I think, and they just did us. And, uh, I, you know, I just thought, you know, that was it. Um, we, we can't afford an eye like this. We've got to come away with not just points, but, you know, there's just that sort of positivity to take us into the next games. Um, the one thing that um, I wanted to mention about the Palace game was just the um, that was worth pointing out was the the level of support from the fans that day. Um, I mean, I was obviously watching it on on an international feed, and the, for about fifteen twenty minutes, there was all you could hear was Evertonians. You know, and the Palace's the Palace's home ground crowd is a, is a loud and boisterous crowd, um, but you know, however many Evertonians were there, certainly drowned them out at, at one point. And Paul, you actually um, re- you recorded um, a, a portion of that, and I think that uh, it, it it kind of sums up the um, both that uh, the passion of the fans, but also the uh, the sort of swings of emotion of I, I think it's the uh, the Calvert Lewin chance um, that, that 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 he almost scores that you can hear and feel the um, the anticipation and the, the disappointment in the fans. But let's just have a listen to that. It's just something that you, you can never you can never take for granted, um, and I'm sure that uh, you know it's 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 going to help on on Thursday the fact that we haven't had um, you know a big sort of raucous um, blue smoke filled Goodison Road coach welcome for quite a while now. I think that the risk was that they'd lose their impact if they happen too often. I think the fact that we haven't had one in a while now is 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 makes it perfect timing now to bring it back. And so that that whole that whole discussion around the supporters and their role in um, keeping this club up kind of moves us onto the Bill Kenwright controversy and his war of words with the uh, All Together Now movement. Uh, that's the movement behind the ongoing protests calling for sweeping change at the top of the club. Uh, obviously, the campaign released a statement last week saying that they would cease the protests if they were given assurances that the board of directors would either be stepping down uh, or be removed by Farhad Mashiri. Uh, they expressed their concern specifically over Bill's ability to uh, run the club, in quotes, and it was that that prompted the chairman to send his own open letter by way of reply via the official Everton website. Uh, altogether now, and then the NS Now group have since responded again, uh, decrying the timing and the tone of Chairman Bill's letter. Uh, I've penned my own thoughts on it, uh, if you haven't seen it at toffeweb.com, but uh, it's all got a little testy and petty at this point, uh, and it's really the last thing we need while the club is fighting for its Premier League life. Uh, Paul, what are your thoughts on Kenwright's decision to publicly respond in this way, Uh, particularly when Graham Sharp, for example, has maintained a dignified silence, even though he was specifically called upon by the group to communicate with the fans? and you know it's this of this general position. Kenwright's general position as chairman of the club at this point. 
Well, for, firstly, the, I think we'd all agree that all agree the timing was terrible, yeah. wasn't it? I mean, with the game the next, that big game the next day to send out send out any sort of statement like that. I don't know when a good time is for a statement like that, but um, certainly certainly not like the the night before a massive game. You don't want any distraction for the players. I find it all a bit sad, to be honest. I mean, the whole situation a bit, it's a bit embarrassing, and it's a bit. I just find it a bit sad. Um, I I didn't agree with um, the statement uh, mentioning Bill's health. I thought I, I thought I didn't like that. I, I gotta say. Um, I felt Bill Bill was within his rights to reply to that because people are talking about your health. I think you know, I think it's fair, but not like that. Not with a statement mm-hmm. like that. That was that, that. That's not how you do things. That's not how a football chairman does things or should should do things. Um, regardless of everything, Bill is an Evertonian, a massive Evertonian. Regardless of what you know, what you think of him, how he's run Everton, it, he's a big Evertonian. Why he's putting himself through this still, with all the pressure, if he is poorly particularly, everything that's going on, um, not being able to go with the game, a lot of venom directed towards him, um, whichever way you look at it, it can, it's an easy thing to do, which will please a lot of people to stand aside. So why he's continuing to put himself, put himself through this, I find a bit surprising, really. Um, I just find it all a bit sad and a bit all, you know, it's... Um, for, you know, we don't watch you support Everton. Everton, you know, how he took the club on and all that, and um, whether he's run the club badly, which he probably has, uh, you know, whatever, whatever you think of him. It's when the whole thing's a bit sad, and it's not the way it should it should be. It's um, it just looks so bad on everybody, and um, I understand everyone's frustrations with Bill, with with the board. I just don't like the way it's also ran out publicly. And I think the Everton board, Bill, probably particularly. Should just look at this and just, you know, does he need this at this age? At this age, at this time of his life, and the easy thing to be, which would please a lot of people, stand aside. It's a, it's it, it's doesn't seem that difficult to me a decision, and uh, it would give him some peace, and it would give, you know, and it would it would settle a lot of things down. So um, that's my uh, that's my general take on it, really. Yeah, uh, I think you've. Um voiced a lot of my opinions very clearly there, Paul. And, and Lyndon, your article on Toffee Web today, I think, is excellent. I think it's uh, balanced and fair. Uh, it, sadness is the word. I think there's been anger. I have been angry at times during the course of this year as to how we've been both on and off the pitch. But really, the sad feeling is now is sadness. And I think, for everybody's sake, for the coming weeks, now the focus has got to be on the pitch and get everybody getting behind them. And that's not picking sides, saying who's wrong, who's right. But I, I suspect I will be very surprised if the board of Everton are going to stand down in the next few days or weeks. And I'd be very surprised if uh, Farhad Mashiri sort of, uh, to quote people, sacks the board. So I think, you know, we should park it. And just for now, it's got to be just focus on the positives of being behind the team uh, with an acceptance that come the summer. There will be changes. There will have to be changes. Clearly, if we got relegated, there'd be some kind of reckoning. Um, and even if we don't, you know, there's got to be root and branch, you know, a look at the whole club. Um, I think Bill's, Bill Kenwright's sort of statement is clearly from the heart. Uh, it's clearly not ghostwritten. I think we can say that. Um, I doubt it was uh, <laughs> finessed or edited by anybody else at the club. Um, I think something more bland would have probably been better. If you just acknowledge the difficult situation that the club's in, 
and you know something along the lines of the you know let's just get behind the team and we'll revisit things in the summer um or you know at the end of the season but there we are um i just hope and i think gavin butland in another podcast used the word or maybe it was joe thomas said the word you know we need a ceasefire and i think for now just for these next few weeks that's what we need uh let's come together as best we can people have different opinions i respect them Hopefully we can all respect each other's opinions and just focus on, you know, for those 90 minutes, 90 plus minutes at Goodison and then for the people going down to Leicester after that, you know, just get behind the team. Every bit of every ounce of positivity we need, you know, to try and get us over the line. Uh, and then by all means, then let's um, let's see where we go after that. Uh, there is change needed, but let's just, you know, let's do everything we can to support the team now. Um, everything else will follow, I'm sure. Yeah, I think uh, you know Bill's Im- impulse to respond is is understandable, given the fact that you know he, he is obviously one of you know so, so some of the protests have been quite personal, and I think that on the flip side of it is understandable from the from the fans' point of view because there's just so much frustration, um, and what feeds into that is just the lack of consistent communication that comes from the club, where we don't hear. We don't really hear from Bill uh, for months on end, and usually we only hear from him when things, when, when there's something to sort of crow about, um, or, or you know, or to boast about. Um, and I mean, to date, really, some of Farhad Mashiri's comments have actually acknowledged that there are issues and that there are problems, but Bill has not. Um, and I think that sort of lack of humility, humility, and that failure to acknowledge that there that there are problems at the club, and that you know he shares culpability for them. I think that's another thing that that really is um, is driving some of the, as I say, some of this frustration. I mean, ultimately, it's ultimately it's on it's on Mashiri to make the changes and to bring in alternatives to Bill Kenwright. I mean, I think you're right in saying that the board's not going to step aside right now because there's no one to replace them. It would just leave a vacuum because to this point, Fahad Mashiri has either had no um, no desire or no ability to fill that board with more professional people, be it on the football side, be it corporate side. You know, there just hasn't been an option. To, to remove the, those who the fans perceive um, are either, you know, failing in their jobs or, or not fulfilling the remit. Um, I mean, I think from the operational standpoint, as I think I put in my article, Denise Barrett-Baxendale has been, been been fulfilling the CEO role quite adequately um, if, her, if her responsibilities are not on the strategic side. And I think that you know, we can read between the lines and 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 see that it's Farhad Mashiri who is who is out there looking for investment and and big um you know big ticket sponsorships and all the rest of it. That doesn't seem to be uh, in Denise's wheelhouse, and that's fine. I mean, I think as we've said on a previous podcast, the club on a, on a day to day operational basis is running as you would expect. The stadium is clearly going ahead, full steam ahead, and, and is on schedule and appears to be on budget. The stadium is obviously moving into a very um, critical time now, both in terms of funding um, and, and how whether the fit out is done to the to the original specifications that will probably be dictated on whether they can find the right investment. But um, yeah, as I say, ultimately, it's it's the it's the manner of of the communication from Bill. It was it was it was just the, the tone of it was very unprofessional. The timing of it was obviously horrible, um, and I think that at a time when we really need, you know, clear-eyed leadership and, I don't know, almost a bit of a have an adult in the room. He unfortunately missed the mark. 
But uh, as you say, Rob, a ceasefire just, you know, it does nobody no good to have this war of words right now when everything needs to be focused on the team. Absolutely. I think we just otherwise we just end up with sort of two sides more sort of ever more entrenched and, uh, you know, never the twain shall meet. Uh, I would like to have seen you know, over the past, well, months, even years, a sort of club spokesperson. I, I understand maybe Bill Kenwright doesn't always want to speak directly to the media or Farhad Mashiri doesn't or even Denise Barabax, you know, but, you know, it's sort of almost like we had with Alan Myers a good few years ago, somebody who could front up and speak in a balanced way, obviously taking on board what the what the board or the owner wants to say, but being able to put it out there and sort of fill some of that vacuum because I think, you know, that vacuum has been harmful. Um, the, mm-hmm. the club hasn't been able to be come out and be a bit on the front foot and it sort of leads us into these situations. So, hope, you know, I hope and pray that, you know, when this is all said and done and we find, you know, we regroup in the summer, whether we're relegated or not, that we, you know, there are less, you know, lots of lessons learned and uh, we can, you know, things can be dealt with differently going forward. The one final thing that I did that I would say is that if there was some kind of acknowledgement that that changes need to be made, uh, that would if then they can someone came out and actually said that said yes we will address you know we hear the, we hear your concerns and we will address you know in, in due course I think that would defuse a lot of it. You're listening to the Toffee Web Podcast. Back to Newcastle and uh, the weekly question, uh, which. Uh, usually revolves around the upcoming game. Um, it would be hard to top last season's game against Newcastle at Goodison, obviously. But uh, Paul, what are your other most prominent memories of home games against the Barcodes? The most obvious one which springs to mind would be when we, um, well, we didn't quite clinch fourth place, but we very, very nearly did, didn't we? When we beat Newcastle on the last home game of the season in 2005. And then I think the next the, the next day, Arsenal beat Liverpool, which did cement our fourth place. But it, it was a heck of a part me atmosphere that day at Goodison Park. It really, it, it was, it was just brilliant atmosphere going into the game. I remember traveling up. I was in university at the time. I remember traveling, traveling down rather, I suppose, from from Huddersfield uh, to the to, um, to the uh, to the match, and just uh, with a real excitement, a real buzz, just kind of one of them things. Newcastle were really poor back then. It was like very, you know, in a bit of a rubbish time mid to low table, not really doing an awful lot and just um just you know, just felt we're, we're gonna win this, we're gonna do this, we're gonna get fourth and sure enough we did. I think the Tim Kyle score one and maybe David Weir. And it was just a brilliant atmosphere. Um and you just found we're gonna be in the Champions League here and sure enough we I mean we're for the very short amount of time, weren't we? But um it's uh, it was yeah, that was a really, really one which really really sticks uh sticks in my head more than more than any of the others, I think. Uh, for me, I'll start with well, obviously there was the, the minus of the uh, later Wobie goal last season, but uh, uh, on the negative side, there was uh, <laughs> I'm still I'm still traumatised by conceding two goals in extra time to Newcastle yes. uh, a couple of seasons ago <laughs> in the Ancelotti years. That uh, we could have been three up when um, oh, when yeah. our striker came on and had the ball <laughs> and went on a run and probably gave it away. Um, I think that was his last uh, <laughs> last one of his last kicks of the ball with us. Um, on to more positive memories. Uh, I'm showing my age here, going back to the uh, 1995 FA Cup quarterfinal, I think it was. Uh, we played Newcastle, and there was a yeah. lot of hype about mm-hmm. Duncan Ferguson, you know, the new saviour. But it was an old warhorse who scored the goal, Dave Watson with a header at the street end uh, to win us 1-0 and get us to the semi-final, which, of course, we, we played Spurs at Allen Road. So that, that was a great, great occasion. Um, 
The other one that sticks in my mind is uh, the summer of 88 when uh, Colin Harvey had gone and sort of made sort of uh, a number of signings, uh, Pat Nevin, Neil MacDonald, Stuart McCall and Tony Cotty. And uh, of course, mm-hmm. Cotty made his debut in that game and scored a hat-trick, you know, scored in the first minute. And we thought, you know, this is it. Here we go again. Uh, it wasn't to be, but that, that was an absolutely fantastic game, actually, walloping them 4-0 at the start of the um, 88-89 season. How about you, Lyndon? Any good memories of uh, playing them? Or have I stolen your thunder? A, a, a little bit, actually. A little bit, yes, because <laughs> I actually went back to look You're at welcome. the look at the, the Cotty <laughs> goals from that game, and I hadn't realised that um, the fourth goal he actually could have had himself, and it was only, um, I think, the goalkeeper yeah. sort of took it away from him. Um, I think it was a Graham Sharp who scored the fourth one. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I was looking looking for you, if you when you go back to those those games that you mentioned, the two thousand five, um, obviously night. Um, and the the yeah the cup run in ninety five and eighty eight. Um, there's actually some very fond memories of playing Newcastle at home. More recently, I mean, it's a it's not really a fixture that I look back on that fondly. I was looking at our recent record since they came up back back up from the championship. Um, we've only won two of the last five. Um, although obviously, as you said, Rob, we should have won that game. But we were two 0 up, and I was looking at the timing of those goals. They were the fourth and fifth minute of stoppage time. I mean, it's just unbelievable. That, that still annoys me, and it's three years ago. Um, but if you go back to before they were they were relegated, we actually had a decent run of results um, against them at home. We had the three one on the final day of 2012, um, 3-2 under Roberto Martinez in 2013, although we almost threw that one away. I think we were 3-0 up. Um, and that moved us back um, into the top four at the time. Um, and then we beat them 3-0 between those the two Dynamo Kiev ties. And then 3-0 again the following season when um, Ross Barkley scored twice at the end. So I think on the whole, I mean, it's been it's been a good fixture for us. Um, but yeah, when I when I think of Newcastle home, my mind first goes back to Tony Cotty's debut because I think, that, as you said, Rob, it, it felt as if we had all the pieces in place to kind of you know to go on and try and win the title again that year. And obviously, it wasn't uh, it wasn't uh, to be. And, and Cotty himself never quite delivered on that uh, on that early promise. But uh, there you go. There's one other game just sprung to mind. Uh, talk sort of talk about de- debut goals. Uh, that was. Uh, 96, uh, Gary Speed. Um, we, I think we beat Newcastle 2 0 opening game of the season. And that was again another of those kind of false dawns because, um, you know, that season we were at one point dark horses, I think, for the title at a sort of halfway point. Yeah. Uh, and then it mm-hmm. all fell away and Joe Royal departed. But that that, uh, that was a great debut from Gary Speed, um, scoring, I think, it was a 2 0 win against Newcastle on a sort of hot, um, I think it was early August day. So, uh, that was another great memory. Uh, sadly, things didn't pan out as we hoped that year. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that one because uh, L will be, as he's listening to this, screaming at the uh, <laughs> at, at, at the whatever he listens to the podcast on. So I know, I know he's fond of that game, but I believe you said before it was his first ever Everton game. It was big, big dunk at the massive yeah, yeah, game. He dominated. That day, didn't. He didn't yeah. score. I don't think did he? But he had an enormous performance that day. And it was it him and Shaver debuting on the same yeah. day at the, uh, for their clubs and. Uh, Big dunk out. Well, sorry, wasn't debut. Sorry, wasn't a debut by Duncan Ferguson. Apologies. It was it was yeah. for Shaver there, and big dunk out was shown him. Um, do you have one? Actually, funnily enough, the you mentioned Newcastle ninety ninety five and the FA Cup quarter final. Do you have one else scribbled down? It was actually um, 
later that season. I think uh, when we were already on course to Wembley, when we, we had them in the league and won 2 0. Daniel Amakachi, Daniel Amakachi yes. scored yeah. a base. And one of them was on a beautiful like fifty yard pass to Amanda's Limpar, which is which was exquisite. And that was a that was a, I, remember, I remember watching that on Sky. Um I was quite a young lad and that was a really, really good performance if I recall. And was, yeah, on the way to Wembley. It was a bit of a bit of a buzz if I if I recall at the time. Long time ago. But <laughs> so, yeah, it's uh, yeah, that's 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 probably the only one I had which uh, scribbled down which uh, which, this which is good. we need more of this positivity. This is this is good stuff. We do. We do. Yeah, I think that, that game that you mentioned against Newcastle in the league is apart from obviously the his his um his cameo in the in the cup semi-final uh, was uh, that's my most prominent memory of Daniel Amakachi, and I think it was it was the only time that he was kind of played behind the striker, and he did really well that day. But he never he never was pushed, pushed up there again. Um, but you know, there yeah. you go, another one that that perhaps could have been. But he had his moments. He had his moments. We did have his moments. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll wrap it up there. Uh, Thursday night really is massive. And if the fans are going to be the difference, this is the one of the last few chances that the home crowd can provide full-throated back into the players to give them the belief that they can do this. So if you're going to Goodison and uh, even join, joining the uh, coach, welcome before and give it everything you've got to create another of those brilliant, intimidating night game atmospheres. And fingers crossed the lads can do the business on the pitch. Uh, we'll hopefully be back over the weekend to review that game and preview, and preview the trip to Leicester and how big a game that might be after their game against Leeds. Uh, So until then, Blues, take care as always. Keep the faith and up the toffees. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.